What's going on, everybody? Jeff Kasouf here with another episode of Kicking Back, and we're doing things a little bit different for these next couple weeks with the Olympics. They kicked off today. It's Wednesday, July 21st, and they kicked off with a bang. Um, usually on Kicking Back, I would be here with a guest, and we'd be talking about the current events along with some some past events and careers and big picture. And for this next little bit, we're going to bring you little mini pods Um, talking about the Olympics here on each match day, uh, which we have uh, the group stage started today. And obviously, the big one that stood out, Sweden defeating the United States 3-0, worst loss in a major tournament for the United States in 14 years since that 4-0 loss to Brazil in the 2007 World Cup semifinals. It was a bad one. We will talk about that. We'll talk about the other results as well. Excuse my voice, been under the weather uh, and the Tokyo Olympic schedule does not quite, uh, it doesn't do any favors to getting some extra rest if you're in the U.S. or on the East Coast or maybe in a lot of places, but I'm still probably doing better than the U.S. women are doing after that result, uh, a tough one. So um, just break down the scores for you all real quick here first because there were obviously six games on the day. Uh, started out with Great Britain defeating Chile 2-0, China losing to Brazil 5-0, the Sweden-US game with a 3-0 win for Sweden, as we mentioned, 1-1 draw between Japan and Canada, the Netherlands beat Zambia 10-3, like it was some bad December football game in uh, some northern some northern place uh, in the snow, and Australia prevailed 2-1 over New Zealand, so talk about that a little bit, but First off, starting with the U.S., 3-0 victory for Sweden. Honestly, a lot of things at play here. I've seen a lot of bad takes, which were expected. But um, look, there were a lot of bad things that happened uh, from a U.S. perspective. Um, they have an impact on the tournament at large. You know, to to take one result, which we'll say is the first loss in ends a 44-game unbeaten streak for the U.S., which dated back to January 2019, so two and a half years uh, a previous coaching staff, even before the 2019 World Cup win. So, you know, these this is the U.S. goes through these streaks when we get to these points where we're at however many number of games, and sometimes it is in a major tournament, and that one game happens to be a bad one or at the wrong time. Um, but you know, I've I've seen already. I've been asked about: Is this an old roster? Is it complacency? Is it? Uh, extracurricular activity distractions. I mean, this was a bad game from the U.S., and it was also perfect tactical execution from Peter Gerhardsen, head coach of Sweden, and his players. Um, came out, surprised the U.S. The U.S. had no real answer, did not adjust, could not get into any rhythm, and you know we saw the end result, a 3-0 victory for Sweden. And honestly, could have, probably should have been worse. I mean, 1-0 at halftime for Sweden. You wondered if they had left the U.S. in the game. Rose Lavelle puts a, a header off the post right before halftime, something out of absolutely nothing, really the only chance to speak of for the Americans in the first half. And you kind of wonder, did Sweden leave the Americans in this game? They get to regroup at halftime. But much like the 30-minute, uh, the water break at the 30-minute mark, nothing really seemed to change. Vlako Anonofsky makes subs at halftime. He brings on Carly Lloyd for Alex Morgan. Julie Ertz for Sam Mewis, which was a big one in a couple of senses. I know a lot of people were 
upset that it was Mewis coming off and not Haran, which, you know, logically, Haran playing as that kind of fill-in number six, Ertz being a number six, was was an interesting choice, um, which I, I've not seen. I'll have to look. I, I've not seen addressed yet by Vlako Nanovsky, but maybe it was of, of why that particular move. But, um, you know, Ertz coming in, first minutes in over two months since she sprained her MCL in an NWSL game with Chicago and first competitive minutes. So surprising in some sense, I think I'm going to guess was uh, pulling a trigger earlier than they would have liked there. But, you know, not a lot changed. Um, Two goals in the second half for Sweden to make that 3-0 final. And it was, I guess I hesitate to even say it was a better half because the first half was just that bad. I guess you can say the second half was mildly improved, but really flat performance. And um, we'll try to break it down in, in some different zones here because, you know... I think another question that I've seen and fielded is, who's at fault here? Who's to blame? I mean, this was a collectively bad effort. That's not a cop-out answer. Like, there is no... I think if I had to pick one player as a... I'm not going to say player of the match for the U.S., but as someone who had a decent game, you might say a listen there just for being able to, you know, make a couple of key saves in the first half and not have the game out of hand by the half-hour mark. But... You know, there really wasn't a standout player. And likewise, you can point to a lot of players in specific moments that had poor matches for the U.S., made poor plays. And um, I don't know that there was one player in particular there that stands out in that sense. But I, I think you look at defensive breakdowns were abundant. And why did they occur? Well, move up the field. The midfield trio, that starting trio, which was totally expected given the Ertz injury, has been that starting trio since her absence. Lindsey Horan as the 6, Sam Mewis as the 8, Rose Lavelle as the 10. Completely stretched and nullified, absent on the day. Lavelle with very few touches, very little impact. Um, and that moves forward to the that forward line where there was no connection there, the the three of them. Usually you talk about a forward being on an island, maybe a number nine on an island. That whole front three was, and, and that was exemplified by Tobin Heath playing on the wing, dropping into what looked like a central midfield role at times in the first half just to try to find the ball, and um, did that with mild success. But, you know, across the board, these issues, there was no connection to the front line, that was a problem through the midfield. And then that stretching of the midfield where Haran was just chasing shadows, not a ton of uh, support from U.S. or Lavelle, um, or probably probably harsh because there was obviously effort there. So not to say there's not a ton of support, but not the right positioning and enough of what was needed in that midfield. That stretch then puts a burden on that back four. And that's where you saw... You know, I think you saw multiple occasions on the goals that were scored by Sweden, but also in moments where Sweden probably should have scored, especially in that first half again, where you've got Abby Dahlkemper maybe getting beat on a blind side or losing a mark. Crystal Dunn was targeted throughout that first half, especially where Sweden overloaded that U.S. left side, their right side, and basically set up a 2v1 on several occasions 
against Dunn, and that's where that first goal came from with Sophia Jakobsen's service into Stina Blackstinius. Um, and, and that came from that side. And that was, you know, that was a product of a lot of things, and it was a frequent occurrence. It happened on the other side, too. There was difficulty playing out of the back. I'd encourage you, you know, if you're listening to this, if you don't frequent the site, equalizersoccer.com, subscribe to us, start a free seven-day trial, and we've got analysis on there. John Halloran has some screen caps breaking down exactly what happened in some of these scenarios where whether it was Becky Sauerbrunn on the ball, Crystal Dunn on the ball, Sweden's pressure actually took away typical options that they would or should have. So no ability to play out of the back. And we saw uh, there were multiple occasions, and this is difficult sometimes with how strict Olympic television and video rights are to kind of pull clips as we might like to do in other scenarios more freely. But there were many situations in the first half throughout the match really where there was a ball to nobody. It was just a pass to open space or a ghost. And and you play balls in open space, especially when you're just trying to release and get behind because you're under pressure. But, you know, in an ideal scenario, you have a runner. I mean, there were passes to absolutely nobody from the U.S. on several occasions. And I think you could vaguely pick up on some of that on the microphone, actually, in that first half water break when Vlakonanovsky was talking to the team. And it sounded like he was saying, He was talking about releasing pressure and just finding that space, even if there wasn't necessarily somebody there, is what the mic seemed to pick up. It was a little bit piecemeal, but, you know, it it, the end product was a really disjointed effort that looked flat to be repetitive to a degree in that word, but also um, uninspired, maybe. Um, And these are all kind of like... These are words that are I hate tossing around, and I actually get really annoyed when um, they get irresponsibly tossed around in media spaces. But you know, I think maybe that reinforces what this performance was because I don't use these lightly, and I don't think I use them often. That, and I don't think I'm saying anything that wasn't isn't being said by the team itself. I mean, Megan Rapino post game said we got our ass kicked <laughs> as a quote. So, you know, this is. Uh, an embarrassing loss for the U.S., a really um, difficult one for them. But, you know, look, it's the opening match. It is an Olympics where eight of 12 teams go through to the knockout stage. So I'd say there's very little chance that the U.S. is not getting out of the group or at least finishing second in the group. I mean, they could even get out in third. I don't think we're looking at that scenario. But the pathway now is a lot different, which is, again, also something if you're subscribing on EqualizerSoccer.com that my colleague Dan Lawletto wrote about. The pathway looks different because you probably, if you're Vlakonanovsky, he's a planner. I'm sure he had planned a rotation for the second game, which maybe happens now by force, by way of how bad the first game was, that things need to change. But um, don't mind my Google assistant here um the 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 second game i mean at this point you know are you rotating for healthy legs as you planned or are you rotating because you need to make something happen and it's the latter now so that probably changes some decisions and you know it also if you do finish second 
Second place out of Group G, which the U.S. is in, is playing the first place finisher out of Group F, which is very likely Brazil or the Netherlands. I mean, that's that's pretty clear after match day one, right? So either of those games, there's no easy path to a gold medal, but that's a really tough quarterfinal. Whereas first place out of Group G, which Sweden is in that pole position at the moment, certainly, first place out of Group G is getting a third place finisher from one of the other two groups, which um, I think is needless to say, very likely should be a much more favorable opponent. What it looks like after that, you know, that that could all change. We could see another U.S.-Sweden matchup at some point in this Olympics, potentially, which we've seen that happen before uh, a rematch after a group stage meeting. But you have to get past the quarterfinal stage. So it really sets up uh, a difficult path for the U.S. I'm sure they'll embrace it. I'm sure they will not dwell on this game and they'll look to come out and Honestly, you know, respect to New Zealand, who they play on Saturday in Game 2. I wouldn't be surprised if they come out, respond to this, and put up a big a big number and a win over New Zealand on Saturday. But, you know, this is an ugly one. I think it's one that will be remembered for a while. It's certainly one that's going to be talked about should the overall tournament not go too well here for the U.S., but not willing to jump to that conclusion yet. Um, which I've I've written I've aired on that um, on that side of of caution and you know we'll see but tough performance from the U.S. you know all around not good I, I do think that obviously is a U.S. view have to give credit to Sweden that that front line even uh, Kosovar Aslani in that number ten role playmaking you know Carolyn Seeger who's uh, a stalwart. Um, a record-setting cap earner still there for Sweden, uh, held down the midfield, and, and I thought really defensively disciplined. And what was different from Sweden this time was, you know, whereas 2016 in that quarterfinal when they defeated the U.S. on penalty kicks, they sat in a low block and said, come at us, and the U.S. had no answer. And that obviously is what dictated everything since then for the U.S. and what really fueled 2019 in some ways. I think that shouldn't be forgotten. But, you know, even in the friendly that these two teams met in April, 1-1 draw, um, US, uh, sorry, Sweden was a little bit more open in that. Um, certainly more open than 2016. But what we saw on Wednesday was a Sweden team that defended with discipline, but not in a low block, just very well. I mean, they pressed high with their front runners. They were... They were able to lock down midfield, um, and they really gave the U.S. nothing. The front three, the mid, the midfield trio for the U.S. Um, it was really start to finish, really from the opening minutes, uh, a comprehensive performance from Sweden. And you know, I think you should have been thinking of Sweden as one of the contenders coming into this tournament, and this result reinforced that. So it's on to the next one for the U.S. Uh, on Saturday against New Zealand, and then it'll be Australia in the finale, which honestly, no matter how Saturday's results go, probably at a minimum is setting up as a playoff of sorts for second place in the group. If Australia upsets Sweden on Saturday and the U.S. wins, then we've got, you know, kind of three-team chaos going into that final day of where each team finishes. But, um, 
going to be interesting in Group G. I'll take a quick break here on Kicking Back, and we'll come back with a little bit of talk about the other groups, uh, the other matches of the day on the opening day of the Tokyo Olympics women's soccer. Welcome back, everybody, to Kicking Back. Again, a special episode. We'll be doing these after each of the match days of this Tokyo Olympics. Hope you're enjoying it. Hope you got some sleep or, I don't know, maybe you probably would have been better off sleeping in if you were a U.S. fan. But, you know, certainly if you got up, you were treated to some excitement as a neutral. Um, and if certain certain fans of certain teams probably quite happy at whatever hour they got up. If you're a Brazil fan, if you are a Dutch fan, not sure about Canada. Um, although Canada, uh, Canadian fans, you got to sleep in enough. 6.30 a.m. Eastern kickoff is not too bad comparatively. But uh, just running down these results, I think a team to really keep an eye on in this tournament coming into it and still very much the case, Great Britain, which is a quasi-England team, essentially, uh, mostly an England team as, as it usually goes or has gone in 2012. Um, Ellen White with both goals in a 2-0 win over Chile. She scored um, just by way of kickoff times the first goal of the tournament um, on a on a rebound um, of a play created by Lauren Hemp and then uh, also assisted by Lauren Hemp with, with the header, the knockdown header. So uh, it was the second goal, though, for Ellen White. Uh, a scissor kick, great volley, really wonderful, great reaction. She's always got the the goggle-eyed uh, celebration, and really this one was just like a a pure excitement that she was even surprised at that spectacular finish. So um, an important win, I would say, for Great Britain to just get off to a good start. I think, you know, there was really 2-0 scoreline is not going to jump off the page like a couple of others from the opening match day of, of blowout victories, but um, it was a comfortable win, I would say, for Great Britain, Chile, never really looking too much in this game, and uh, Ellen White making sure that they got the points that they needed in, you know, a similarly, I would say, wide-open group with Japan and Canada in there and, you know, a uh, a little bit of, um, I think that could go any any which way um, because those three teams are all, all have their own certain question marks, so... Uh, Great Britain, Ellen White off to a good start there. And just keeping with Group E there, the host Japan and Canada, uh, the host Japan against Canada. Mana Iwabuchi with a late equalizer for Japan to salvage a point for the host. Big point for Japan just to get off to some kind of a, a start and a result when it looked like they were going to lose uh, their opener. And Canada, Christine Sinclair scoring. 12 minutes in the match, early in the match, and, you know, it's got to be a disappointment for Canada to drop those points when it was so close for them. Really should have been, uh, I think, if you look at the the run of play, uh, three points for Canada, and obviously a setback in a group that is pretty tight and wide open and Great Britain getting those results. So we'll see how this plays out. I think one thing, you know, to keep an eye on here, um, that Mana Iwabuchi Equalizer scored on Kalen Sheridan after Steph LeBay uh, had to exit the game injured. So that's certainly something to keep an eye on, obviously, for Canada. Um, haven't seen an update as of recording this pretty shortly after, but um, we'll see how that plays out. Keep an eye on, on updates there. Um, 
but yeah, Group E quite wide open as we we would expect, and uh, so Great Britain next up in that group um, on Saturday. It's Chile versus Canada. So again, Canada after blowing that late lead, definitely a game um, with respect to Chile that Canada as back-to-back bronze medalists who have talked about wanting a better colored medal, which I think is ambitious, definitely a a must win, I would say. Must win is maybe an overstatement, but really, um, you know, a game that you would expect to get three points out of if you are Canada. And then obviously that leaves Japan versus Great Britain, and I'd say probably the most intriguing matchup of that group on the day, and one of the one of the intriguing matchups of the day period. Um, and then in Group F, on opening day of Olympic play, a couple days before the actual opening ceremony, Netherlands Zambia. <laughs> I just I I had to watch this one with half an eye, and by the time the score was already out of hand, as I kind of expected, I had to kind of turn to. Uh, a lot of a lot of content that we had to get produced coming out of the other games and specifically the US game that we talked about, but ten to three. I mean, it's like a Bears Lions game or something. I don't know. I'm not a big enough NFL fan to come up with just like it's just a snowball game, everybody you know. I, I don't know. I'll stop the American comparisons, but the the headliners, if you will, Viv Miedema, four goals for the Netherlands. And then uh, Barbara Banda, Zambia's captain, who, um, you know, by all intents and purposes is like the one big player that the rest of the world seems to know much of anything about from Zambia, who's much of an unknown, scores a hat trick, two goals late uh, within a minute of each other to, yeah, I guess some personal achievement there to be scoring a hat trick against the Netherlands. I mean, that's that's no small feat. I think if you're the Netherlands, you have to be a little bit disappointed in yourself for giving up three, especially those two late in the manner that you did. But um, to be fair, I'm not sure that there's a ton of deep analysis that could or maybe should come out of a 10-3 match. So I think the next match day, Saturday, we get Netherlands-Brazil, and that should be the group definer of sorts and obviously one to keep an eye on for trends bigger trends as the tournament goes forward so really looking forward to brazil netherlands on saturday and that leads us to that last result from opening day on wednesday brazil with a 5-0 victory over china i've said this i've written this really high on brazil i like the talent that they have in general i like specifically their attacking talent uh, if you follow me in any capacity on any medium, you know that I'm a huge Dabinia fan uh, in terms of her play and really where we should be ranking her, how we should be talking about her in a world perspective um, because she does get attention. I'm not going to say she doesn't get attention in the best player in the world conversation, but I would still maybe argue that in certain conversations, depending on where they're taking place, that Maybe she doesn't get enough of that talk because she is, in my opinion, has been, despite maybe a a 2020 where nobody played regularly, but she probably played even less because of the way the NWSL shook out and European leagues kind of getting back to play, um, at least in some form of a real season, that uh, maybe she wasn't in that conversation of quote-unquote best player of the year because of that, but 
best player in the world for for my money, in my opinion. And um, she got on the score sheet, as did Marta. 5-0 victory for Brazil. And what I like about this team and why I like them, and we'll see how they play against the Netherlands and going forward, but why I like them as a contender in this tournament, you've got that attacking, classic, high-end Brazilian flair, but you've also ha- you also now have the defensive discipline, the tactical nuance, um, and I'm, I'm not saying that didn't exist before, but been refined, tweaked, broadened um, with some other elements from around the world that's been brought in by Pia Sunhaga and, and even just like the vibe around the team because Pia Sunhaga is a vibe, like she... She brings this peace in in how she manages a team, and I think we see that play out with, you know, the guitar playing and the the words of wisdom. And I'm not sure that Brazil has really had that before, and it's a different kind of mentality, mindset, and just management style than than I think has mostly been there before. And it might be what they needed at least what they've needed for a while. So really interested to see how that all comes together. I think the build-up to this tournament, it has been coming together. The writing's been on the wall that it could happen. So really excited to see where Brazil goes. 5-0 win over China. I think China's got plenty to figure out and is, is um, yeah, not, not a great result and probably won't be a great tournament for them. So don't want to read too much into a big result like that, just like the Netherlands-Zambia one. But you know, just kind of reiterates that uh, Brazil can do what we think we think Brazil can do what we thought they could do. <laughs> so um, that's opening day of the Tokyo 2020, 2021 Olympics and a couple of big results, not just by scoreline, but obviously that headliner Sweden U.S., and looking forward to the next set of matches. Plenty to play. Again, 8 of 12 teams advancing. So unlike a World Cup, maybe, there is no, um, you know, you're not backed into a corner per se on after match day one results. Certain teams might feel that way, justifiably so. But uh, from a U.S. perspective, plenty to play for. Just probably looking a little bit different and a little bit more difficult perhaps this time. So uh, we'll be back on Saturday after the next round of matches. Let me know. Let us know what you like, what you'd like to hear more of in something like this. Obviously, a little bit of a break in the traditional kicking back format. Hopefully not too jarring in your feed, but hope you enjoyed it. And hope you listen to us again on Saturday. And we'll be back then with kicking back. Please rate and review the pod as always. And subscribe so you don't miss any of these as they come out more frequently over the next couple weeks and as we get back to our usual guest format. So uh, until then, I'm Jeff Kasuf, your host, and I will catch you in a couple of days.